0: You are now listening to The Sexy Escort Guide, discussing everything fascinating about the world of paid companionship. And now, here is your sexy host, Exotic Vivian. Hello, everyone. This is Opal Marie at Opal Marie7 on Twitter. And I get to guest host for this lovely podcast again today. Today, I'm speaking to Lola Davina. Her Twitter is at Lola underscore Davina. That's L-O-L-A-D-A-V-I-N-A. And Lola has spent nearly 30 years in and around the sex industry. She's worked as a stripper, a dominatrix, a porn actress, and she was an escort over a 15-year period. She's earned an MA in human sexuality and an MS in nonprofit fundraising. And she writes a self care and wellness column for whynotcam.com. She's the author of the Thriving in Sex Work series, and her latest book, Thriving in Sex Work Sex Work and Money, is due out September 1st, 2020. We had a very lovely discussion today, and I hope you all enjoy it. Good morning, Lola. I'm so excited to be talking to you. Uh, Your work really resonates with me, and um, thank you so much for being willing to do this interview with me.
1: Oh, I'm so delighted. Oh well, thank you so much for asking me. It's really a pleasure, and I'm 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 really looking. You've you've already you you clearly put a lot of preparation into our time together. So I'm excited what uh, questions come up. So.
0: Yeah. I When I first started guest hosting for this podcast, I immediately had you as an idea of someone I would love to interview. It's just that I started guest hosting for this podcast when right when the quarantine hit. And so my focus was um, getting as much information out there about switching to online work. And that's what a lot of my interviews were about. So now that you know, people have gotten into the groove of that. I'm so excited that I get to do an interview, just talking about things. I'm so curious about
1: good, great, good. I know. I know it's been (laughs) such it's everything has changed so fast and everyone's just still reeling from, from the events of the last few months. It it Mm -hmm. makes perfect
0: sense. Mm -hmm. How did, how has your life been affected by what happened in March? Oh goodness. Uh,
1: So every, my birthday's in March. So every year my husband and I, we come to Sedona to um, get away and just, you know, go be up in the high desert and get some sunlight and, you know, go hiking. And this is, it's just, it's just like, you're shaking off the winter blues. Like it's just like the perfect tonic. Right. Oh yeah. And um, I, I, we left, town I'm not going to say exactly what day my birthday was but let's just say within <laughs> that next week the am I allowed to swear on this podcast I should have asked that
0: you are allowed okay. to swear all if you right. accidentally say something you regret I can edit it out all
1: right. no, no, no. <laughs> I, just, I don't want to offend, offend any, any delicate ears well anyway the shit hit the fan and <laughs> the the quarantine in place order went down and all of a sudden. My husband and I looked at each other because he's got immune, you know, he's got he's, he has issues with his immune system and his back, and all these things. About even just logistically getting home seemed almost impossible. We ended up staying for almost three and a half months um, in Sedona because um, we just couldn't figure out how to get home. At one point, I, at one point we were, thought we were going to head home,
2: mm-hmm. and
1: uh, I started looking into uh, motels in California mm-hmm. on the to offer the drive back Mm because we live in the Bay area Mm -hmm. and um, we were told that because we were not, we were not essential workers, we wouldn't be allowed to stay at a motel. So it Mm. was just, it was just, it was just, we were just kind of had to, we just kind of had to roll with it. And um, so it was really impactful and, It was weird because it felt like time out of mind. We were on vacation, so we felt very far away. But at the same time, every day you get online, every day you look and see how the world is just changing just minute by minute. So it's been disorienting. And then coming home after three and a half months and have everything be so radically changed. That was really kind of a psychic kick in the gut, too, I have to say. It really hurt my heart to see so many businesses closed and just, Mm -hmm. yeah, just the state of the world. So yeah, it's been a lot. How about you? I mean, how, how, how has it impacted you? But
2: first, a word from our sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by our diamond sponsor, Companion Tax and Accounting Services. You've heard us interview the owner, Mary Lee, on episodes 7, 36, and 58. Companion Tax really knows their stuff, and I, Vivian, can personally vouch for them. They are the professionals you need to hire to handle all of your tax accounting and business needs. Companion Tax was created specifically with us companions in mind. It doesn't get any more niche than that. They have been in business since 2011 and have become a leading resource for the community. Although based in South Florida, they are licensed in all states. You can visit them at CompanionTax.com and fill out the new client information form to get started and take charge of your financial future.
0: So before I answer that, I want to say that I completely empathize with the horrors that everyone is going through because I've been there myself. But me personally, um, this has been the most amazing time of my life. I um, It started off by being completely prepared for this. And the reason is because I had scheduled a breast augmentation to happen the week that we went on quarantine. Oh my God. And so I had two months of finances saved up and was planning on not doing anything. Wow. For a couple months. And my doctor bumped my surgery up a day and I literally was the last elective surgery before they shut down. Oh my God. And so I was just sitting on the couch healing And by the time I was ready to go back to work, um, everything, at least in my area, was back to normal. And I shouldn't say back to normal. I mean, as far as like clients reaching out, you Mm -hmm, know, mm -hmm. and um, so I, I just feel like the most luckiest person alive. (laughs) I, um, I, can't even begin to explain like how devastated I would have also been if I did not have that two months savings um, set aside. And uh, since then, I just have been using last year was one of the most stressful times of my life. And I really needed a break. And so it just kind of worked out perfectly for me. Um, But like I said, you know, this is the first time in my life that I'm financially stable prior to this. I mean, I've been living in debt paycheck to paycheck since I was 18 years old until I became um, a private companion. So I completely understand the stress and horrors that other people are going through. And I'm sending my love to all of you and hoping everyone gets through this.
1: Yeah, yeah, it is certainly and it is certainly nothing I've never I've haven't been through anything like this in my lifetime. And uh yeah, for sure we're all we're in uncharted waters. Yeah. So okay,
0: when when I first started doing this work, I always used to say, no little girl thinks to herself, gosh. I want to be a private companion one day. And then, when I was reading your book, you said that. Oh gosh, I'm sorry. We should totally um, mention your book real, real quick that I'm talking about thriving in sex work. Um, I'm forgetting the my first part
1: book. My, my first book, thriving in sex work, um, heartfelt advice for staying sane in the sex industry, which is a self help book, which really, really de- designed to help folks. Um, identify and process and and manage the emotions that come up with sex you know from sex work
0: right so i read that book it was amazing and in it you said that like at nine years old or something like that you had this dream of working in this industry i I thought i I can't say that anymore i guess i guess some little girls do dream about this and Sorry. No, 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 go ahead. I mean, I didn't it know if there was
1: a question. I mean, but yes, that is, that is a fact that there's something about me that I, I can't explain. I can't, I don't know why that was true, but, um, yeah. I think I was always fascinated by sex and, and, you know, I, which I don't think is, makes me unique at all. I mean, most many, many, many kids are, and. I don't know, I guess I just kind of knew that there was this thing called the sex industry. And I think it was right. just that I did have this, I remember how, I wrote it in my diary is actually what happened in my, in my childhood diary. It's like, I, I want to be a prostitute someday when I grow up. And it was like, I mean, I'm sure I didn't even have a full appreciation of even what that meant, but yeah. you know, but there was some little revel in me that was like, well, I want to, I want to take a walk on the wild side when I grow up.
0: Yeah, I I love these moments in which uh, new information just obliterates my idea of what I thought was true. And so when I read that and I learned, okay, some little girls actually do want to be this. I love that I'm being shown that reality is actually a little bit different than I thought. Um, So you said, you also said in your intro, something that really resonated with me is that. Although you no longer perform sex work, you still identify as a sex worker because it's, you know, it's so much more than a job. It's a way, well, for me, it's a way of, I would say it's a way of being. And sounds like you feel that way too. Yes, I really found it quite formative. Um, and I think there's something
1: if there's a friend of mine who always talks It says, if you're the the, the sex industry, is like the mafia, you're either in or you're out. Um, <laughs> which, but I think there's something to that, right? Like, they, once you've walked through that door, once you've seen the world from the other side, you can't really unsee it. Now, that doesn't mean that it's a positive experience. It doesn't mean that that's, you know, useful or happy knowledge for everyone. I, I don't want to, don't want to necessarily characterize it that way. But that that very strong sense that if this is work, if it's I think especially if it's work that you've chosen, if it's work that speaks to you, that you've learned, you that you've learned things that it does form, it does it 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 does inform your personality and and your identity in a way, and even that like I say, I've been out of sex work for gosh, if I do the math, I think it's been about fifteen years now. I'm still always gonna I think to the end of my life always gonna identify with the underdog and with the the person who lives on the other side of the tracks and the person who maybe doesn't necessarily follow the rules and, and, you know, with people who uh who are gender different and have different kind of different sexualities and those things. And um, that's, that is a world that I have spent time in. I, I don't spend every single moment of my life in that world,
0: but that's definitely a part of me. Yeah. Yeah. I am. Um, my journey in this started with, while I was in school to be a sex therapist. And I, so I too, like you have just felt so passionate about sex therapy and sex education and human sexuality. And, um, you know, there's a lot of overlap between my ideals and yours in regards to uh, human sexuality and mindfulness. And I wanted to talk about your master's thesis i know you have two masters so i'm forgetting which master's thesis it is but uh, one of your master's thesis was about sex work and social contact theory and do you think you could tell the audience a little bit more about what that means sure
1: yeah um my yeah my first i have two master's degrees it makes me a double master which i like to joke means that everybody has to do what i say Um, (laughs) um uh yeah one in one in homosexuality and one in nonprofit fundraising um yeah. So, social contact theory. The the basic idea is, all right. So, if we live in a world where not everyone is equally valued, right? As something we're really, really struggling with right now. We're really seeing it um, with the Black Lives Matter movement. But you know, this whole you know we can we can cut, we can slice it so many different ways. If, um, thinking about if there's a A person, a a kind of person, a group of people that are considered stigmatized for whatever reason, the the out group, the the group that's considered bad or wrong or or troublemaking or whatever it is. All social context theory says is if you're a member of the charm circle and the happy group, the good group, right? If you happen to meet and spend time with someone from this out group, you're more likely to think of them as an individual Think of them as a human being, think of them as having, you're less likely to believe all of the, of this, of the, the stigmatizing um, stereotypes or cliches or prejudices that you might have learned growing up. It just merely says that when we come in contact with people who are different than us. That tends is that tends to humanize them, and I, mm-hmm. I applied that theory specifically to the notion of sex work. And in my research, um, I re- I researched attitudes towards people who had personally known someone who had worked in the sex industry, either in porn or well, that was before camming and stuff. So so, so an escort so it was a porn escorting um, a dominatrix, um, uh, strippers. Um, So if somebody had known and spent time with and and had interactions with social interactions with someone who um, was involved in one of those jobs, they tended to have a more favorable um, opinion of the sex industry as a whole and sex workers as individuals than someone who had never encountered someone who had worked in the sex industry, Um, which is not rocket science. okay? I mean, I mean, this seems intuitive, but just just it's just to say that we we tend to hold negative opinions of people we don't know anything about right it's easier it's easier to think that about those people over there if you've never actually talked to a live sex worker or followed them on twitter or you know seen a documentary where you've talked, you know hear them talking about their lives and realizing that they're full-fledged human beings and not just you know the sex work is one part of their life but it's it doesn't define them as as a person
0: yeah I feel like that's such a significant journey for everybody's personal development is coming to this understanding that I think we all come to you know although we may come to it at different ages in our life think that everyone comes to eventually that we're all just kind of the same we're just like a little bit of a different variation than the person standing next mm-hmm. to us, and we just have so many judgments and um miss misunderstood notions about uh the strangers around us and i i luckily i was so fortunate that i i started working as an emt when i was 19 years old Mm -hmm. and i came across every single type of human and it was just drilled into my brain at a very young age that there isn't a whole lot of difference going on between us all these people that you think are dark and fucked up like you could actually probably relate to them a lot more than you think mm-hmm, 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 for sure so then, so then what i don't know if you even come across this often but what do you say to people who think sex work is wrong or bad
1: Oh I, well, I certainly, I certainly encountered them on Twitter on a regular basis. Uh, <laughs> so it's like, yeah, yeah it's, it's, I mean, Twitter is one of those places where it's like it's you can. Hell. I'm sorry, what did you say? I said it's hell. Oh, I think it's hell. It's so awful. I I actually really enjoy. Maybe I'm fortunate. Maybe because I have my own part. You know, I have a very distinctive niche carved out, which is I'm yeah. talking directly to sex workers about their lives. I'm yeah. not trying to advertise to the broader population. Now plenty of the broader population finds me and I interact with them as much as I want to until I block them. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I, I, I know that I operate kind of in a, in a, in a special category that I'm not trying to gin up clients or anything like that. So, so I don't have to deal with the same bullshit that I know that a lot of, so many sex workers do online. Mm. Um, But yes, of course, I mean, I I regularly encounter people who want to tell me that everything about my life is wrong. And it's just I sometimes I can get very snarky and be like, well, my goodness. Random, you know, stranger on the Internet with your your tweet yeah. you've caused me to rethink the last 30 years of my life and the, and the two or three or four best closest friends that surround me. And, you know, the fact that I married a client, oh my goodness, you've really rattled my cage there. I'm going to go and think for a while. I mean, it's just ludicrous. It's ludicrous. It's, it's a waste of time. Um, but I mean, I certainly understand people who, people who don't, people who don't understand the industry, who don't know anything about it, except in the ways that it's been depicted in Hollywood and the ways that it's been sensationalized and, you know, in all the different ways that it gets talked about that it's off putting, right? I mean, not everyone is comfortable with sex. Not everyone is comfortable with se- the notion of sexuality on demand or the idea of, you know, masturbating and having somebody else know about it or, you know, like, mm-hmm you know, married people having sex with people other than their spouses. There, there are just so many different ways. I mean, one of the ones that always seems to come up is the notion of disease. Like, you know, the, the, whole idea, you know, the, 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 the number one objection to sex work is disease. I'm just like,
0: we're the cleanest out there. I was just going to say that well, first
1: <laughs> I'll start there, but the second, of all, it's like, do you know, are you aware of how amateurs fuck? I mean, they're, <laughs> Bad at it, and they're sloppy. I'm just here to. I'm just here to report. I mean, don't Mm -hmm. don't pat yourself on the back that because you think money isn't involved that somehow, you know, all those little bugs and all those little germs don't care. I mean, it's just ridiculous. So anyway, so yeah. I mean, there's so there. So for I always try to hold compassion for the idea that plenty of people don't understand this industry and they 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 judge out of ignorance. but then, of course, and I'm sure you've encountered this. There's the people who want to hate sex workers because they desire
0: them oh, so badly. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know,
1: in my book, I, I talk about it as erotic rage. Um, yep. That a lot of clients, a lot of, especially men. But we, we don't need to. We don't need to make it just about gender. But um, right. you know, but that that whole notion that there are hot people on the internet who are getting paid and a lot of people who want something from them and if they feel like they don't get it then they have the right to just destroy them dehumanize them stalk them call them names all different kinds of terrible things that that their anger is justified somehow um yeah and that's that's a lot to process it's a lot it's a lot to take on
0: yeah um be- becoming a private companion for me was such a huge phase of growth because i i had all these judgments and ignorant notions about sex work because of what we're taught you know from day one mm-hmm. and um i I had that, that dark image of it. And about two weeks in to starting, I realized that I had never been more wrong about anything in my life. And here was this thing that I'd always been taught that if I'm partaking in this industry, then that means that I have lost all self-worth Right. that I am at the, at the darkest part of the, you know, bottom of the pit. And that this just means something horrible. And it turned out to be the biggest miracle of my life. The best thing that ever happened to me. And for the first time I had something that I was so certain about that anybody's negative remarks about it didn't even cause me to flinch. Cause I believed in every fiber of my being that, This is exactly where I needed to be and wanted to be in life. And this is exactly what I had been looking for my whole life. And from there, that um, invincibility to other people's judgments and criticism carried out into other aspects of my life. And that is someone who was so incredibly insecure my whole life and so obsessed with what other people thought of me to let that go and mm. just like thank you gods the sex work thank you for bringing me out of that fucking hell <laughs> yeah,
1: well it, it does sound like you and i have i would i wouldn't have i wouldn't have characterized my journey as i quite so unidirectional as yours i mean i i i too when i especially especially when i when I first started stripping, I was like, oh, my God, here I am. I'm on stage. I'm getting paid what seemed like an absolutely obscene amount of money, $20 an hour, which at that time just seemed like an unholy buttload. I thought I would never be poor again, um, you know, <laughs> to to dance naked with all these gorgeous women. I just thought I – this is my dream job. And then um, I, I had a similar epiphany with escorting, um, which, was, which was really like, oh, my God, this is – I – I'm good at this. I know how to do this. for some reason, I know how to do this. I don't even know how I know how but I do and I know I'm good at this. Um, I had a lot of other I I experienced a lot of um, ambivalence, a lot of other emotions Now I didn't doesn't sound I wasn't quite the the rock star. It sounds like that you
0: are but um, but yeah, um, well, I did want to let me pause you for a sure. sec because I didn't want to mention on that aspect because and this is this will be a great segue for talking about your first book. Um I, I did so. I I started, I started sex work at 31 years old. But what I realized when reading your book is that this journey of self-care and having to teach yourself care is what I had to learn back when I was in EMT. So at 19 years old, I literally lived at work (laughs) like I had like six hours off a week. Oh my and, God. Yeah. And, and, and then for like the remaining years I was working nights and I at 26 years old I felt like I was fucking dying of cancer. And I just quit on the spot with no backup plan and like it took me like a year to get, like restabilize and balance out. So uh, what I noticed is while I was reading your book is these lessons that you were having to learn in this journey you were having to go through and all this guidance and advice that you were giving to other uh, sex workers. I was like, wow, that's what I learned back when I was an EMT. And so, yeah, you're right. Like I, my journey through that, um, you know, happened with a different industry. So I, I understand what you mean when you say these things, it just came to me through a different industry. Yeah. 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 No, I feel that. Yeah. Um. So 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 when I was reading your book, it wasn't so much that I was it, the 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 joy that I felt from reading your book was not so much because I was learning new information, but it was this moment of contrast where I was like, holy fuck, I'm not there anymore. Mm. And I just like was overwhelmed with so much gratitude and I felt so much empathy for those who are currently having to learn those lessons. Through sex work, and uh, so what I wanted to ask you is if you could kind of talk about your book a little bit in regards to someone who hasn't learned these lessons of self care that you and I have learned, and how they, why your book could be such a beneficial addition to their life if they haven't learned those self care lessons yet.
1: Oh, that's certainly for somebody else to say. Hopefully, I mean, I, let me put it <laughs> this way. But let me, let me put it this way. I mean, you're very kind. I mean, the, the, you're, you're, I really, I did, I appreciate how how um how your kind words and the and the way you talk about the book and that uh, it it always 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 is so meaningful for any author to know that a book is you know sitting in the hands of somebody who can really appreciate it um so i have one regret of writing my first book um looking back on it now and here's here's the only regret that i have i wish that i had put somewhere in the introduction very very early um a warning, a a note to the reader that all of the advice that I offer in this book was not because I was so freaking awesome at everything (laughs) that I did. And I was just like this total rock star, sex worker queen who like knew everything right and did everything right the first time. That book is actually a deep, like archaeological unpacking. It took me, I, you know, I didn't even start writing it until 10 years <laughs> I love that. after I had, you know, it was 10 years after I quit before I even went back and started writing it, that it took me 10 years to even process what the hell had just happened, right? That the whole book, I could, I, I, you could play a little game, you could play a little game where you could just open the book to any page and I could find you somewhere on that page where the reason that I'm writing about that isn't because in the moment I did it so right, it's that I realized (laughs) the mistakes that I had made and I wanted to offer my younger self the advice that I wished that I had had then. Right. Oh, I totally felt that. Yeah, I totally relate to that. This is a chronicle of the mistakes that I made. This is a, this is a chronicle of the ways that I let myself down or beat myself up or didn't take care of myself. And in looking back and just saying like, look, life is always going to bring you pain. Life is always going to bring you unexpected things and clients are going to act like jerks and really good, stable regulars are going to disappoint you and all these things are going to happen. We can't, we can't defend against that, but what you can do is get out of your own way and be your own best friend. Yep. And you can really when thinking about treating this job as a business and thinking about it in terms of making money without burning out, you can make job one then taking really 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 good care of yourself and listening to your body, listening to your emotions, listening to the the voices that are rattling through your head. Like if any of those things are hurting, then it's your job to comfort yourself and to care for yourself and to heal yourself, um, right. you know, rather than, you know, it's, it'd be like saying, I, I want to be, I want to be an athlete, but every time I injure myself, I'm just going to like strap a you know, I'm just going to wrap a, a bandage around it and I'm just going to keep running. Like, right. You know, y- y- your whole body, your soul, your sexuality, your mind, your creativity, all of this is being brought to bear to do this work. And if what you just, every time you're, you are, hurt, harmed, humiliated, um, um, stood up, uh, disappointed, whatever it is, whatever pain you need to feel. If you just say, Oh, well, I'm just going to slap a bandaid on that and keep going. You know, you're not going to operate it. You know, no top athlete can treat their body like that and operate at peak form. Right. So nobody doing this work can be doing, can be doing this if, if you're if you're shutting off parts of yourself and not taking care of yourself so that's why i wrote the book that was my core fundamental elemental message that i really wanted to hand to um, anyone who chose to pick pick up the book and just say look this work is going to try you this work is going to test you this work is going to ask you to look at the world differently and look at yourself differently and it's going to ask a lot of you um that's okay. Just be kind to yourself while you do it. You know, and figure out what you need to thrive. What what you need to make this go.
0: Yes, that is such a beautiful message that resonates with me so strongly. I have learned that you will get to a point where your body becomes stronger than your mind and your body will no longer let you do things to it that it does not want to experience. You will, you will not have the energy anymore to put yourself under stress to saying yes when you want to say no and all that. And especially with sex work, sex work requires such a deep connection with your body that in order to experience that type of connection to your body that I'm referring to, you have to let go of all the bullshit that clouds your mind. So that means, you know, no more unhealthy relationships, no more, um, put, oh, sorry, I guess I should say for me, it meant no more unhealthy relationships, no more polluting my mind with a bunch of social media all day long, you know, no more skipping on my workout or like going out to eat every night. Like I had in order to do this work, I had to take care of all that. But the beautiful thing about this industry is it's so abundant that it makes it so much easier to take care of your basic survival needs so that you have the energy and space to take care of your body.
1: Mm. It certainly can be for sure. For sure.
0: Now you, uh, something else I learned in your book, I didn't know this when I started reading your book. And so it was very exciting for me to find this out. I felt like I found a unicorn. (laughs) I had been looking to talk to someone who ended up marrying a client and I found out that you did marry a client. I
1: did. And what's really crazy is that two of my closest, bestest, bestest all time friends in the entire universe, universe world forever did as well. Um, we're a little, we're a little trifecta. And in our orbit, in, 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 my, in my, you know, of the, of those two friends who were sex workers in our orbit, I also know of several others. So we are certainly out
0: there. Can you talk about that experience? Maybe, you know, the evolution of your relationship of transition from client to non-client? Yeah, sure. Well, I
1: met my husband, who golly, it will be 30 years ago next January. Um, And uh, he was a referral from a, from the woman who, who, you know, I don't know if people still use this term, but turned me out. She was the, she was the, she was <laughs> yeah. the, yeah, she was the, she was the escort who um uh, we were stripping together, but she, she had, been, she was escorting on the side and she, she kind of took me under her wing and she set me out with some clients and set me out into the world. And um so he was very early in my, in my sex work career. I think I was, so I would have been 23 when I met him Um And for him, it was kind of love at first sight. And for me, it was like, he was just a client. He was just a client. Um, I was pretty lesbian identified at that point. I was, I really felt like I was pretty much straight for pay those days. (laughs) I just like, I didn't have much use for men at all. Um, But he really (laughs) liked me and he was really sweet. He was really, really kind to me. Um, And I saw him as a client, I don't know, a handful of times. And then, and then the woman I was that, that, that time I was partnered with, I, I call her my wife, even though we weren't married because it was no gay marriage then. But um, yeah. my, my life partner at that time, we, we moved and he was heartbroken. And I just remember the last time I would seen him and, and he really let me see how upset he was and how he really, he was happy for me. He wanted, he wanted me, you know, he, he knew I had this partner. He, he, he we were moving several states away. And um, he knew I was getting out of the business altogether. I think in his mind, he was never going to see me again. Um, and he, he showed he he really showed me that. And um, you know, I, you know, honestly, I did not have the same feelings for him. I just didn't. I, I liked him. I thought he was a really nice guy and everything. But it was kind of like, gosh, you know, I, this is just this was all just temporary. This was just fun. This was just a job. Um, but after seven years of um, my life with with my then wife and and things melted down. I our 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 partnership fell apart. We we both had to file personal bankruptcy. Like everything went completely to shit. And I found myself um, having to come back to the San Francisco Bay Area to come back and get to work. I was we were in terrible debt. Um, and so I still had his number, and I basically called him up, thinking, well, he's an old client. I might as well see if he. Wants. I, know he, I know he used to like me. I wonder if he would want to see me again. Um, and he was very, very happy to hear from me. And, um, you know, there's some of the details of what happened after that. I'm just going to go ahead and, and leave in the dark. But just to say that we, it helped that we had known each other for a long time. It helped that we knew each other as client and sex worker it helped that we established a bond as friends um and at some point i mean i again i know that he he always had had feelings he always had that attachment he always had those feelings for me sexual feelings romantic feelings he had all those feelings for me um and when I came back, uh, we just fell madly in love. We fell madly, madly, madly in love. And um, I worked for three years um, and we were deeply emotionally involved. And then finally, um, we decided it was time for me to stop working. And and uh, I transitioned out and uh, we got married, I don't know, about a year and a half or two years after that. Um, but one of the really profound things about meeting a life partner that way is, is that you don't have to explain who you are. Right. (laughs) No,
2: you
1: You don't have to make any excuses. You don't have to put a polish on it or a shine or a gloss. Um, It's just, we knew who we knew who we were. And the other thing too, again, I don't want to, I don't want to reveal too much of his story because I feel like Mm -hmm. that's, that's, that's getting into his privacy. But he had his reasons why he was seeing sex workers. Um, He was working his own stuff out. And um, as many clients, not all clients, many clients, many clients, it's just, it's just kind of maintenance, right? It's maintenance sex. They want to have sex. They want to have sex with somebody different. They want to have sex with somebody they're attracted to. This is what they Mm do. But many people are on a journey to discover something about themselves. And that was really Mm -hmm. what he was on. And um, the fact that I knew who he was, he was bringing to me an authenticity that he was—he was not comfortable bringing to his, his his sexual partners in his quote-unquote straight life. Right, this was the sex that he wanted to have for himself. And so I was getting—I got to bear witness to that. I got to see that in his in his authenticity, um, which meant, you know, and the fact that I fell in love with him and was attracted to that. And I mean that he was performing sex in a certain way in order to be seen as acceptable and, and to, to like fit certain, you know, certain paradigms of what, you know, so-called man is supposed to be. He was this kind of gendered, very, very gendered way of, of looking at things, but that actually is not what he wanted to do in bed. And he could not work up the courage to share that with his life partners. So that was something that he shared with the women that he paid. Um, mm. So it was, prof- it's profound. It's profound to love someone like that and to be loved like that. And um, yeah, so we have, you know, we, that's a very deep psychic bond, sexual bond, romantic bond um, when that happens. Now I'm not saying that that's going to work in every case. I mean, cause the, I, 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 I wouldn't definitely want to let you jump in with more questions and stuff, but, but I mean, I think, I think one of the biggest problems, and this was something I watched each of my girlfriends go through too, is they, they fell in love with a client and, and went through all of that, that there comes a time with that kind of relationship when both people have to look at each other and say, is this for real or are we just you know are we performing our best selves right here or am I, am I performing you know the specific brand of whoredom that you that you that turns you <laughs> on you know and are you performing the certain kind of whatever it is that I'm getting out of this so that I you know that I will like you like can are we doing this for real or are we still playing the game mm. um and that that's a very vulnerable and very tricky moment you know, and as, as, like I say, myself and, and the two other, two other women that I'm really close to in my life, you know, turn the corner into full, full partnership, but that doesn't, I, that, I had dated a client earlier. It was really, he gotten really, 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 he was really crushed out on me and, and really liked me and wanted to take me to Italy and wanted to do all this stuff. And, but he also said, you know, I also want to transition out of paying you. I, I want to, I want this to be more of a, like a, uh, a friend, you know, like a boyfriend-girlfriend thing. I, I think we're really deeply compatible, and you know, I he says I you don't need to give up working, but you know, I, I I'd like to take this to the next level. And I turned around and asked him and said, Well, okay, but if we do that, are you still expecting then that we're going to be sexual and 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 be around each other in the same way that we were air quotes dating when yeah. money was involved? And he was like, No, I want to keep things the way that they are. Right, and I was like, well, then we're not going to. And I was like, thank you so much for your honesty. And I fired him. Um, because, yeah, I mean, wouldn't it be nice to have the dream fantasy person? Right. on call 24 hours a day 365 days a year or are you really gonna get real and really and, and be real people with each other and he was I think, and bless his heart we're, we are actually friends now we're friends in real life but at the time it was like i had to fire him as a client it's like oh no <laughs> i'm sorry i'm sorry you want you want to take the money out of this equation and you want to leave everything else exactly the right. same know that's not gonna work
0: right right, yeah i um I, even prior to doing sex work, I was poly, I've been polyamorous Mm -hmm. since I was 23. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I actually say non-monogamous, which you will understand that term. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And I realized that that almost is kind of like this defining factor between not just me and clients, but me and the lover's. I've always had is if I'm going to combine my life with someone, are you okay with me showing up in my authenticity Mm -hmm. in every moment? So that means if I'm feeling really overwhelmed, are you going to take it personally and pester me? Are you going to give me space? You know, if I'm feeling too tired for you know, loud, rompous sex. You know, are you just gonna cuddle me? You know, can you just enjoy my company when I'm not always on? So right. I get that. And it doesn't mean I, I should clarify because this is a theme that's been coming up a lot for me. I feel like I feel like a lot of people think an authentic relationship means you're able to that this person is okay with you taking your shit out on them. I am a huge proponent of radical self-responsibility and radical self-acceptance and my feelings are my feelings and they're not anybody else's responsibility so i'm not saying that it's about being with someone who lets you take your shit out on them but doesn't take your shit personally right yeah that, that makes sense So let's talk about your new book. Tell Ah, everyone the title of your new book.
1: It is, it is, it is the third book actually in the thriving and sex work series. It's thriving and sex work, sex work and money. And it's a personal finance guide for sex workers. Um, and I wrote, I knew I was, I knew I was going to be writing this book even as I was writing the first one. Um, I knew I knew that this was the next topic that I was going to have to tackle um, to talk about the very you know, if if the first book was all about the emotions that come up during sex work during the work itself, then I felt like I really needed to turn my attention and and shine a light on the the emotional impact of the money that we earn from sex work that there's there's no getting around the impact that receiving money in exchange for our sexuality. There's no, there's no, there's no, well, well maybe there's a handful of people who don't, who, who mm-hmm. just don't feel much about it one way or the other, but for most of us it is deeply, deeply impactful.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. So you, <laughs> once again, going through this book, I just I just felt like you were documenting my personal journey too. Um, I sex work is where I finally learn financial literacy, financial wisdom, but on a deeper level, financial spirituality. Mm-hmm. Um so you know, you talked about things like the gratitude journal. I wish that everyone knew what magic occurs (laughs) when you keep a gratitude journal. And this is something I can explain in metaphysical terms as well as scientific terms. Gratitude journaling is a miracle cure for me. And so I I was so excited to see that you wrote about that in your book.
1: Oh, yeah, it it is. um, I think that Practicing gratitude is one of the most important features of self-care that's out there, Um, especially for those of us who are prone to anxiety or future tripping or depression, um, a lot of ruminative, negative thinking, that focusing actively on gratitude, just being, you know, looking, looking for um, the good in life, documenting it, and feeling grateful for it is such an important process. Um, it doesn't solve every problem that's out there for sure. Um, but it doesn't, again, it alleviates it, it so much unnecessary suffering.
0: Yeah. And for anyone listening to this right now who is interested in what we're talking about, uh, I'll share how I keep my gratitude journal. And then maybe you could share how you keep yours. Because I really, this is like, one of my daily activities that is so important to me and I think so many people can benefit from it but I literally just on my phone I in the notes section you know I have it called g list and I just number one two three four five and all day long anytime I'm feeling like grateful I'm I'm grateful that I pulled off this recipe. I'm grateful that I got up early today and did yoga. I'm grateful that that client gave me an extra $100 tip. I'm grateful that the wind feels really nice right now. Any little thing that I can find joy in, I just type out on my list all day long. And then at the end of the day before I'm going to bed, I just review it. And I even have it on my calendar, on my to-do list every day, G-List. And it doesn't take a lot of time or effort. And that there's so much um, psychology behind this technique that when you when you when you are keeping your attention on that, which you're looking for, it shows up. And the more that you just find the little magic in every day, miracles just start occurring. (laughs) Um, because your attention is tuned to it. So do you think you could share how you practice your gratitude journal?
1: Um, it's not, it's really not that similar at all. I do it on my phone and, uh, yeah, I keep a running list of, I tend to do it at night. I tend to do it just before going to bed so that um, I like the idea of being, you know, a little bit more mindful and doing it throughout the day as, as stuff comes up. Um, but, um, it's. It, it it's it's a way it's a way of allowing goodness good good things to come into your life right good things happen and bad things happen there's no there's no again there's no getting away either one of those things right but it's saying, just by saying i choose to accentuate the positive i choose to there's uh, actually there's this great um quote the, the 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 Dalai Lama has a quote it says choose to be optimistic it just feels better
2: right and, and
1: it's such a simple thing to say and again as you know somebody i you know i was raised with like a lot of chaos in my life, in my life like a lot of neglect like i did i did not i was not hardwired to um love my life or to love myself right. um these are things i had to learn actively as an adult um and I also I, 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 before we get too far away from this, I also just want to touch on the notion of toxic positivity. But just, I just want to. I, I just want to oh, I totally okay. know what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, yeah. So, so I want to stick a pin in that, but I just want to finish my thought here. That that it is yeah. just to say that. So you know, the, the whole notion that you you can focus on the positive, you can focus on the negative. The amount of energy is the same, but there is this. You talk about magic. That there is also there's also um, evidence that there's brain chemistry that that all works together that when we when we focus on good things in our lives we focus on the things that we're granted that we're grateful for when we allow when we acknowledge the love in our lives or the help that we get or the or the praise that we receive that that over time builds up resiliency and builds up um a positive mental attitude, which doesn't mean that you know. Again, a shit day can have us all you know in tears and and in a puddle on the floor because that can happen too. Right. But I, but what I also just want to just want to touch on for your for your readers, just in case they don't get a chance to read my book and and hear this argument, is to steer clear of. A, 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 I think a very very useful term, which is toxic positivity, which is the idea that you can pump your head filled with nothing but positivity and drown all negativity out right like you're just you're just going to like push all negativity away and then it's just like not going to exist for you anymore um you
0: feel that the term toxic positivity um is similar to the concept of spiritual bypassing
1: well I mean, so spiritual bypassing is is a really really interesting um concept and and um, I don't get in, I don't get into that in the book but it is it, that is really helpful too but the, yeah the notion that the notion that somehow you're not going to do the work or that bad things are never going to happen to you you don't you don't have to you don't have to trouble your your beautiful mind with with negative things well no actually we need to ground ourselves on the earth we need to be grounded in reality feel what we authentically feel when something bad happens we need to say ouch you know, Right do, you, when
0: yeah, so I just want to clarify that we're on the same page. When when you say when you're describing toxic positivity, I'm thinking about uh, those moments in which a, a lot of anger or sadness or hopelessness is coming up, and we try to push it down with positive thinking. Is that kind of what you're talking about? It can be. Now I I think there could be a balance, right? So so the
1: way I would define toxic positivity um, is the idea that you can you can fill your mind as if your mind were an empty room you could just blast it with white light so that no negative idea need ever fill the room of your mind right Mm -hmm. and then once you do that once you've blasted nothing but pure white light into the room of your mind only good things are going to happen to you all of your wishes are going to come true um You know, people are gonna come out of the woodwork to just give you whatever it is you've ever wanted, or you're gonna come up with a million dollar idea and you're gonna make all this money or whatever it might be, that there's some something magical is going to happen that is that you don't have to work for and it doesn't have to be grounded in reality. I I reject all
0: that. So what do you think then? Why? What do you, I I mean, I get it, but like, what do you, to explain to others, what do you think the negative consequences are of that? The
1: negative consequences are that you don't, you you, you are not remaining grounded in authenticity of what you're authentically feeling. And it, it, the, uh, you know, it's one thing to say, I'm going to wake up today. and I'm going to look on the bright side of things. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to seek out, Compliments. I'm going to seek out opportunities. I'm going to seek out praise or or love or whatever the thing that I feel that I really want in my life. It's another thing to say is I am just going to go through life ignore ignoring or you know, blasting again, like this. I just just see it like as like this fire hose of light in my mind. And everything. That doesn't fit into what I'm looking for is essentially going to disappear or go away or or not exist. That's yeah. not grounded. That's not reality based, mm-hmm. um, and it's not kind. It what it 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 cuts us off from pieces of ourselves which which are true and authentic and real. Which is the parts of ourselves that, that are grieving, the parts of ourselves that are aging, the parts of ourselves that lose a friend or. Or, you know, something becomes unworkable. We can't, we, we, we have to hold all of that complexity at the same time. But just the point being, if you focus on the positive, that gives you more resiliency to deal with the negative.
0: Right, right. So, there, so to me, what I'm hearing is that there is a difference between understanding that negativity is a part of life And inviting it in. Right. So I can mentally be prepared so that when something does devastating, when something devastating does happen, I'm like, uh, this doesn't feel good. But I also knew that something like this would happen eventually because that's life.
1: Right. Uh, Right.
0: And, and, but that's different than living in a state of anxiety all the time because you're just constantly um, expecting something bad to happen.
1: Right, or say something bad happens, you know, when the bad thing happens, of course that happens because that always happens to me. You know, right. this is this is personal to me. This is, you know, the bad things always happen to me. It's, right, that's attaching to the negativity. Right, tapping into that negativity. It's also like, how, you know, I also, and, and I know this is not something that everybody agrees with, I don't always think that there always is a silver lining or a lesson to be learned or that like, you know, if you, you know, sometimes stuff just sucks. Sometimes something really terrible does happen. Someone we really love does die. Now it doesn't mean that something good can't come of it. Right. We can make good out of, out of tragedy in our lives or, or unfair things that happen in our lives. But the whole idea that like everything is happening for a purpose, like all of this is just happening in order to make us better people. is like, well, no, I think sometimes just shitty things happen. (laughs) And we have to grieve them and we have to feel them and we have to, you know, go through it and, and know that life is sometimes desperately, desperately, desperately unfair. It just is, you know.
0: Uh, yeah, I, I, to, to, uh, to touch on that, I'd like to share a personal story about um, when I finally not so much learned that lesson learned how to get through it Mm -hmm. so last year last December uh, one of my brothers died in front of me and um, it was I the the thing that I kept thinking about is when I was in school my degree is human development we were learning about observations on non-human primates when they experience the death of a family member and what obs- observed what researchers noted was that it appears as though they go through a depression phase simply because there is a chemistry involved when you are that closely connected to someone it's almost like your chemistry becomes intertwined with them Mm. so that when they die you're it's you're going through a withdrawal from that um, loss of chemistry but because non-human primates don't have words to perpetuate the grief that chemical process goes through its cycle, and then they pick up and move on. Mm -hmm. So that's something that I experienced when my brother died, I, it's almost like um, I was having a really hard time with words. And for a couple weeks, I just I didn't really have the mental capacity to create the obsessive language in my head to attach to the grief and i kind of just hung out home alone for a couple weeks holding still and i felt these waves going through my body and i knew that it was that chemical withdrawal but because i couldn't really attach to it after a couple weeks um that experience there will always be an impression on my heart from that experience but like the monkeys I, I let the chemical process go through its cycle and then I picked up and moved on. And that is an experience that I wish I could gift to everyone experiencing de- despair, depression, anxiety, whatever negative emotion you're feeling. I now know to sit down, hold still, try not to focus so much on the words going on in your head, but instead breathe into that feeling breathe with the waves and the rolls going through your body and i don't know how long it's going to take but if you just let it go through its cycle it's just a chemical process that needs to pass through and then it's done
1: there's something really beautiful about i mean that's that's incredibly beautiful in what you're describing and and that's really it is a gift even even i think for so many people the idea that it's emotions are so terrifying we we, we we spend so much energy pushing them away because of the fear that they're overwhelming and that they're infinite right the idea you yeah. know even to just say like look if you will sit with your feelings long enough they will pass through you you will get to the other side is a lot of us weren't taught that as children we were you know right. and so you know children our emotions are so completely overwhelming if if we didn't have parents or took ter- Caretakers who knew how to soothe us. We're kind of sitting in this kind of like infinite, the potential of this infinite emotion. Um, it's so terrifying. But the other piece of it too, I really love what you're talking about. So so part of it is just it's just the the process, which is just sitting with it and being present with it. But the other part of it is detaching it from language, because at least I will tell you from my own personal experience that what it's so easy for me to do is to have feelings about having feelings. Um, Instead of just saying like, "Ouch, I'm really hurting right now. I'm really in pain. I'm really suffering. I'm grieving," then I get into this big long thing like, "Oh well, yeah, because you're always like this. You this is you're always doing this. It's like, you know, you you, you know, how many times have we been here before with you like ugly crying like this? Like you know, like this all this negative self talk, all of this like th- this that this is about me somehow, rather than just to say, look, this is this is just these are these are emotions."
0: Um, This is this moment.
1: This is this moment. Right. And it's not actually me. These these emotions do not constitute me. Right. But the Buddhists have this lovely, lovely saying for it, which is that emotions are like clouds passing over the sun and that our true essence is the sun and our emotions are the clouds. The clouds will come and go. But our true essence, even when even when hidden behind the sun, the sun is always still there. Our true selves are always still there. Um, Right. But yeah, so this yeah, well this is this is this is quite a deep conversation. I wasn't fully expecting mm-hmm. this, but thank you for sharing mm-hmm. your your experience and I'm sorry for your loss. And <laughs> but you yeah. know, it is also really helpful, I think, for people to hear about how people yeah. grieve and how they get to the other side.
0: Which is why I wanted to share that, because I did not know how to grieve until then. And I too as someone who battle depression anxiety for so long, because I was I would attach to those feelings. And I thought that they were infinite. And I thought that they would never go away. And now that I'm on the other side of that, I wish so badly, I could give that to everyone. But let's uh, bring it back to your new book. So, so like I was saying, you not only go into the financial logistics. You go. You also go into the emotional components of finances as well as more spiritual components. But let's talk a little bit about just the um, black and white logistics of financing. Mm-hmm. Um, what What are some? What are probably some of been your most um, profound little insights in regard to the logistics of financing?
1: Well, I'm not. I'm gonna. I'm gonna skate out from under that question a little bit but here, okay. because here's. Here, but here's. <laughs> here's
0: how I'm gonna tell you how I'm gonna do it. So.
1: There are two different kinds of financial of, of personal finance books out on the market. First, I should even step back a step further and just say I read a shit ton of personal finance books in order. Yeah. yeah I I I you know I really wanted I am not a I I'm not an accountant. I do not have a, any kind of background in in um personal finance or anything like that. I am just a rank amateur. Um, but so I wanted to read a whole bunch of books about personal finance and see how the books are written and what they have to say and everything like that. And they all they fall into two camps. And the first camp is I went to Harvard Business School and I created this budget system that's going to help you do this, that, and the other thing. And I'm going to teach you how to invest, and I'm going to teach you how to make this much money. And so it's coming from very much this position of authority, kind of top-down. The other kind of personal finance book out there is I was a fuck-up. And I crashed my life. <laughs> and then oh, wow. I I gained control and you know, and learned all the lessons the hard way. And now I'm going to write a book so that you don't have to do it the way that I did. And my book is very squarely in that second camp, because (laughs) as I already mentioned before, I, I, I went through a a personal um, bankruptcy um, in my uh, early thirties and I had to go back into sex work in order to dig myself out of debt and all those things. Um, So Reading all of these various, but I did not want to offer to sex. I did. I wanted to stay very much in my lane, right? If I'm going to be offering financial advice, I want to be offering stuff. That's pretty standard, right? Um, yeah. I, I don't, I'm not here to um, be an off-road financial guru um, for, for people. I, I, I'm really, all I really want to, I want to do a couple of things. I want to offer basic financial literacy advice so that everyone has it, everyone in this, you know, because I, I i certainly know from my own personal experiences. This is something that I see. Many people who are sex workers feel like they can't get the financial advice that they need. They feel they can't be honest. They have to hide their money. They may feel nervous about paying taxes or investing. There there's a reason, there can be a lot of secrecy. Um, so I wanted I wanted to, you know offer a a well-balanced picture of of financial basics so that everyone has those things. Um, I also wanted to talk about the emotional side of things where we can get stuck, right? Where we, maybe we know the right thing to do, but we don't allow ourselves to do it because we've, we've gotten to some kind of we have some kind of story or some kind of emotional hang up around that. Um, Yeah.
0: I was going to specifically ask you if you could share what one of your biggest limiting thoughts was in regards to getting over that. Um, Because I, before we get into that, I want to explain to people who might not know that finances isn't just about learning how to do your taxes, learning how to save, learning, invest. There is a huge emotional component that many of us have to work through and that in itself is its own journey. So yeah, let's talk about yeah, that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So it, it really is. And here's, so, okay. So, so from my experience as a sex worker, what I was, what I was, I had one, I had one great skill as a, as a, when you talk about sex and sex work and money, I was a good mm-hmm. earner. I was really yeah. good at earning. I, I, I'm not not to say that, you know, because I was like super fucking gorgeous or anything like that, but I was just, I had a good work ethic. I knew what the job was about. And I, you know, I woke up every day wanting to go to work and I would do it. And so I was really good at accumulating money. Here's what I wasn't good at. Thinking about how, what to do with that money once I had it. So I would hoard it so that, you know, nobody knew that I had it, so I wasn't like investing it or putting it in any kind of savings account. So I wasn't earning any kind of money on that on that money. Um, I sometimes my budgeting would be all over the place. You know, I would just like because I I would just like I I would like be very very um, I would be very stingy with money because I was always afraid that I wasn't going to have any right, so I couldn't really enjoy my money. So I was earning money but not enjoying it. And then when I fell in love because of the way that I've been conditioned, the way that I grew up in my, in my mind, if you love someone, you just give them everything that you have. So I turned around and gave my wife all of, all of my money, all of my credit and she bankrupted us. I mean, I don't, I mean, I won't won't say that I didn't have anything to do with it, but I handed over all of my power to her and she crashed, you know, and and she did not, she had her own money issues. She had her own money problems. And, um, and so, one of the, one of the ideas of the book that I really want to offer to the reader is thinking about every single activity in your financial ecosystem. So that's, earning money. It's keeping it safe. It's in, it's paying your taxes. It's investing it. It's saving it. It's budgeting. It's how you go about spending it. It's how you go about sharing it with people that you love or loaning it to someone that you trust. Um, All of these things. It's like you have Mm -hmm. to have all of all of these different skill sets and it's my observation. Now, I, I mean, this is just, this is just a, you know, I don't have any independent research to back this up. This is just an educated observation. But that so many of us have a very strong, maybe one are, are good at one or two or three things. And then we're lousy at all these other things. And that's, yeah. that's where we get messed up. That's because we think, well, I'm good. See, in my mind, it was very, very easy for me to think, well, I'm good at money because I earn a lot of money. But then I was shitting at it in all these other ways.
0: Right. Yeah, I I I have the same story. I've been obsessed with working. I got my first job when I was eleven years old mm-hmm. and I was a workaholic up until this year when I was like, I can't do it anymore. But so I've always been really good at earning money, but I had no concept of saving or investing or budgeting. And this is one of the reasons uh, you've been such a huge inspiration for me, because reading your personal story of the rock bottom that you hit financially and how you, you know, got yourself out of that, it was just such a great reminder that, you know, there's just so much more to come.
1: Well, good. I'm, I'm, I'm glad to hear that. And yeah, so it's, so I, the, 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 but you, you had a question early on where you say like, what's, you know, what's your like, you know, kind of your secret, you know, your, 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 your special, your special tip or what, you know, for sex workers. I did really try to write the whole book through the prism of what it is to be a sex worker. Right. So, so I really do try and talk about the way that money can feel like it, you know, it can can come very fast or it can go very fast. Right. And I try to talk about what it means to really keep money safe. If um, your job perhaps isn't 100% legal, or if you're in a family situation where not everyone approves of the money that you're making, right. Like how do you, how do you share that money or how do you commingle that money? If you're dealing with like a lot of bad emotional baggage, I I, I, I try to always be thinking in those terms that these that always going back to the fact that this money is going to be loaded in, in for most people. Um, and that that's not necessarily a bad thing. I mean, that can be a good thing. It can be really fun to have that stack of money and feel really rich and feel really sexy and feel really empowered and all you know, dirty and free and everything you want to feel. But, Um, you can't let that blind you to making bad money decisions, you know? So just constantly going back to that again and again and again and again, just, you know, this is, you're going to find pretty basic standard um, personal finance advice in this book, but always through the lens of what it means if you're a sex worker.
0: Right. Right. Uh, I think that's just such a great resource for anyone to have. And definitely if this is new information to you, I strongly suggest picking up this book because it could be a huge benefit to you. Um, I have uh, one last question for you before we end. On Twitter, I asked if anyone has any questions they'd like me to ask you. And I got one question that, from someone where they said, because of multiple reasons, 2020 seems to be the year that many sex workers are leaving the business. What are your thoughts on this? And do you have any insights as to how to survive these giant yeah. times?
1: Yeah, we are. Um, the only rupture in my lifetime to parallel COVID is the AIDS crisis. That's yeah. that's the only parallel that I have in my personal life. And it did not have the economic devastation, dev, you know, the, the impact of the economic devastation that we're seeing right now. And just, and have it happen so fast. AIDS was like this slow, if, 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 if AIDS was the slow moving zombie apocalypse, we got the fast little fuckers yeah. coming at us today, <laughs> little brain eaters. So um, I, I, I don't mean to shirk my, any, I don't mean to duck this question. We are still so recently. If so March, April, May, June, July, August. We are six months into this. We are headed into a presidential season like we are never, you know, like no other. Um, we are the forces that are that are happening right now. We just have never seen any of this before. <sighs> The sex industry stands at a very specific place in the middle of all this disruption. Um, It too has been wildly, wildly, wildly disrupted. Like, you know, so few people, you know, not, you know, certainly people are going back to seeing people in real life and stuff like that, but, you know, certain, like, you know, when and if a strip joints going to open again? Um, you know, when is it safe to open a dungeon again? Um, you know, so many people are transitioning from uh, contact sex worker to into going on, into online. And then additionally, so many people who have never been involved in sex work have found themselves out of work. and, sex work becomes and their hopefully what they're hoping for is is sex work becoming a safety net so people are transitioning out of the business because the business is different than than what it was they don't like it people are trans- transitioning into it because they have to because it's a it's 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 an economic lifeline um i guess from a, a bunch of the conversation that we had earlier about sitting with this um and knowing that this is none of this will last forever right and that it does not behoove us to take any of this personally this feels very 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 deeply personal i understand when it's your when it's your when it's your livelihood when it's your brand when it's your clientele that's getting ripped apart i believe me i i understand mm-hmm. but at the same time this is not personal this is, this is happening to all of us right. and we do not know what is going to shake out at the end of all this. Um, what you say is true. I think there, you know, I, I know personally quite a few people who have, who are if either, either hitting the pause button or, or moving on altogether. But I also, every day I see new people getting online who are brand spanking new and you know why they're there because they're out right. of work.
0: Right.
1: Um, and who chooses to stay in this environment and try and navigate it? That's going to be interesting too. Who's going to figure it out? Who's going to figure out how to make it work for them, or at least make it work well enough? Um, I, I know I'm sounding really vague, but there's no, there's, I, we are talking in the present tense. We are not talking in the past. You know, this mm. is this is happening. This is unfolding as we speak. And mm. I do not know what will be at the end of all this. I do not know how the industry is going to be changed. I, I, you know, I read articles about, like, for instance, like you know, cameras and and porn, porn people. All of a sudden, they're all of a sudden they're stuck at home. And they're making their own porn. Like, why do they need middlemen? Why do they need? Why do they need producers? Why do they? That you know, why not just do it for yourself? Mm. Um, you know, there there could be a revolution um, in, in the in the porn industry um, away from from kind of like top down production companies and just have it all be bottom up um self-starters um so that that might be one transition that in the the long term we might you know quote unquote think of as positive um but then again I don't know when strip joints are going to be safe again I don't do do not know when when, what is going to happen to the career that that is stripping I do not know yeah
0: Yeah. I do not know yeah well, uh, thank you for your thoughts on that. Is there anything else you'd like to share with the listeners before we hang up? Oh, well, you know, this was just such a pleasure and such a pleasure to have such an
1: in-depth um, conversation with you, Opal. And thank you for such a careful read. And and it's it is, again, I'll just say, just as an author, you know, writing can be terribly lonely. So it's always wonderful <laughs> to know that you're that at least I know that you know I. That my story spoke to you, you know, and that's wonderful for me to hear. So thank you, thank you for sharing that with me and um, letting me know that because uh, that's what you always hope for as an author that that you'll touch somebody out there and that that uh, whatever you have to say that it'll resonate for them. So, and um, thank you and thank you for sharing all you know. My my new book, um, Sex Thriving in Sex Work, Sex Work and Money, is is due to be out the first week in September. If you want to find out more about that you can um follow me on twitter um because i I, that'll be up to the minute i have a i i'm having to waffle a little bit now with my drop date because i'm not entirely sure that i'll be ready to, 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 to to go i was hoping for september 1st but i i believe i can i can i believe i can confidently say it will it will be launched in the first week of september
0: uh go ahead and give people your twitter handle yeah i
1: am i am lola davina uh at lola Divina, lola underscore i'm oh, sorry at <laughs> lola underscore davina d-a-v-i-n-a
0: thank you so much lola this was such a treat for me to talk to you and I'm sending you lots of love and wishing you the best during these times.
1: Thank you. It was really great for me to talk to you too. And uh,
0: yeah, thanks again. Be sure to follow the show on Twitter at TSEG Podcast and on Instagram at TSEGP. Join our Patreon page for exclusive videos on dating, sugaring, and freestyling tips for both the gentlemen and ladies. Patreon.com forward slash TSEGP. Follow your host, Vivian, on Twitter and Instagram at ExoticVivian. Please leave the show a five star rating on iTunes. Until next time, keep it sexy and stay receptive.